Festival podcast. Producer Trent here. Morning show back in your ears. This is from Monday, the 13th of April. Robin and Josie hosting, as usual, guests today, Stuart Lee, Sam West, and some music from 1201 Alarm. Cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home is where you'll find the tip jar to help out venues and artists and performers uh, with no income right now, thanks to this wonderful pandemic that we're all enjoying so, so much. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash cosmic shambles is the address. No, that's not the address. Patreon.com slash book shambles is where you want to go to do that. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Shambles Stay at Home Festival on this very special bank holiday Monday. What are your plans? I'm thinking of going to the attic. <laughs> I'm going to walk round and round the tiny living, tiny room, living slash- room slash kitchen. I saw a lovely thing that there's a boy who's making money. Yes, yeah. We'll put up a link. And what he's going to do, he only lives in a little house, but he's going to run a marathon over the week. Just running around his house, <laughs> which I think is really a uh, um, uh, charming thing. A and man from Sidcup did Cup that, did that during laps of his garden, and he's my age, and I was born in Sidcup, and I was very proud of him. But I was also like, "You are really showing up, me, in this. <laughs> you have done incredibly." And he did it because he was training for an ultra marathon in the Sahara. I was just like, "Wow, incredible!" Well, yeah, Sid- I'm, I'm impressed by. There's a, there's a book in the Sid Cup way, isn't there? And the whole kind of training technique that's been used by most of the great athletes from Sid Cup, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I may be wrong about the, that. Um, I, uh, should we do How our show and tell? And then, I'm good, I'm good. I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I like everyone. Uh, everything's fine. And then you suddenly get incredibly frustrated. And then you remember that's reality. And last night I was just getting fed up with seeing people. I know we've mentioned it on the show. But you know that whole thing about, hey, guys. Don't worry if you're not doing anything. Hey, guys, look, it's okay not to do There's more people saying, hey, guys, don't worry about doing anything than people saying, why not do something? And I, I find that ultimately that becomes very a very English thing, which is to say it's absolutely fine. And in fact, don't even have an aspiration of reading a book. Should you have extra <laughs> spare time and you're thinking about doing something, don't. It only shows up your neighbours who then feel... Do you, do you know look, your neighbors the guy who ran the marathon is to be celebrated. I'm not saying he's a bad person. Uh, so anyway, I'm feisty and I'm ready and uh, I've got some new kettlebells. So yeah. Oh, they're just two um eight kilogram bells at the uh, at, at the moment um oh. i think they're i think that's what they are yeah carry so both of them that's the weight of my daughter oh well i've been carrying that I'll, I'll easily be able to I, I can do right now there's a lot of different moves i can do <laughs> you know so that's absolutely fine um and you're all right you you uh, had fun with the quarantine uh, comedy club on uh, friday Yes, and it's been a very traumatic weekend to be a left-wing me- member of the Labour Party. Yeah. So it's Quite, just nice. Uh... What's nice about this pandemic is every time you think, well, uh, this is so incredibly depressing, but at least nothing else can emotionally traumatise me today from the news, they'll go, oh, don't worry, here's something that just to distract you with despair all day. So it's really good. Um, I, I'm really, really considering... Um, uh developing some new interests 
Well, that's what I was, I've said sure. to you. I have found by focusing more on cosmology than <laughs> on molecular biology, I found a lot more fun in my existence. You know, I, I, well, I, wow, Hawking radiation's amazing. Well, do you know, actually, Stephen Hawking once said this, and oh, no, I didn't <laughs> realise. You know, so that's what I'm trying to do. I've been thinking about becoming a member of the landed gentry. gentry. I think that will really help me uh, be calmer about these things. I see you not so much being that. I see you being uh, uh, an eccentric naturalist, uh, <laughs> like uh, so like the wonderful woman who did a lot of work on fleas. Oh, it's really great. If if, if no one's seen, seen this stuff before, there's a documentary all about her work. She was a really one of, and she would have kept kept rabbits so she could comb them to get the fleas, and then she would film fleas flea jumps, and they were and they're really remarkable because they jump so fast the frames of film aren't quick enough. So basically, it's just here and gone. And it and yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I'd love to so, film eccentric fleas. So anyway, yeah, well, a nice thing. This is a show and tell thing. This oh. is a card that we made we made a long time ago for us emergency because um, two of our guests today have been incredible supporters and advocates for us emergency, which is our organisation to try to. Um, expand who is able to make culture and be involved in the cultural sector and the arts and humanities and we made these little cards and it says intellect knows no rank and then on the back it says secret agent for justice you have been chosen to join our network this is because you are of a sensitive considerate and or artistic disposition and have the potential to change the world um we made these up sort of a, a while ago before we while we were still quite a fledgling organization and i found one the other day and it's you can tell we were a fledgling organization because it's hand laminated badly yeah, I know, but your early work was never even uh -huh. laminated, wasn't it? Most of all, I've got yours is inky photocopies, and uh, and I'm very glad to own that archive. Um, the uh, I was oh, I should mention because you mentioned oh, emergency. Oh, I was showing you. I was just going to mention because you mentioned arts emergency that one of the things that we're doing with this show is uh, we have a tip jar which is somewhere around on your screen. And what we're doing is we're trying to collect uh, uh, money to get a fund together to finance some of the acts who basically have lost all their work. And as opposed to what some people might imagine, which is everyone in show business has loads of money, a lot of people do work very hand to mouth. So we're trying to make sure that we've got uh, a fund for some of the people that we know have kind of hit the wall and also to build up money for some of the smaller art centres as well. Uh, uh, so just I just thought I'd do that. My um, thing is, I found it. I was mentioning it the other day. Mine is Donald Sindon's copy of the <laughs> shooting script of the film Villain, uh, actually signed by Donald Sindon somewhere there. There we go, Donald Sindon's uh, signature. And my dad, it's the only thing he's ever bought in an auction. I was meant to go with him to see Donald Sindon doing a chat, and uh, then unfortunately got trapped in Leeds, and so he thought I better buy him something, and he got me the dialogue and continuity Villain uh, screenplay, and which. Which is now it's a fascinating film if no one's ever seen it it's one of those it, it's kind of some people would say in the shade of, of get carter and those early 70s gangster movies and it, and it has a weird cockney accent from richard burton but it is uh it's a really interesting gritty and uh, and quite kind of strange film and is then also the character you see ian mcshane playing and think things like sexy beast is in some ways an imagining of where he would have been 30 years later so that is my show and tell a little bit of donald Sindon. um Very cool we should introduce our, our, our guest, well, our, our first guest today. Later on, we're going to be talking to uh, Sam West. But first of all, we're, I'm really glad that he's doing this because I never imagined that he would embrace this. Well, he hasn't embraced this technology. He's kind of picked up this technology and then he'll drop it soon afterwards. But it is Stuart Lee. Stuart hello, Lee. Stuart. hello, Stuart. Hello. Hello. Am I on the screen now? Yes, you are on the screen, <laughs> and, and and you do look like not dissimilar to Paul Newman the, in uh, the not very good Robert Altman film Quintet. You look very much like you're ready for the dystopia at any moment. You're you're, this you're actually what I'm sitting in is an Anderson, Anderson shelter. shelter from World War Two. Really? 
really? Yeah, which I thought would be interesting because, uh, you know, we're obviously in the greatest um, bit of social tumult since then. And um, so this was, this was uh, you know, in the 40s, people in this house presumably would have come down here in the cellar and hidden in here. The, you can see that um, the roofs all reinforced with iron bars and uh, they would have sheltered here and loads of the uh, streets around here were bombed. So I'm invoking the blitz spirit. Um, for, for everyone but um I'm, i've also come down here because there's not very many personal details in here and um you know four mad stalkers i um i don't really want to give away anything about where i live or any things that i have but i can see you robin living in an attic piled yeah, up the second hand you, will it? there we go <laughs> it's exactly what's expected isn't it <laughs> Uh, but that that was see now you've given even more ammunition to the likes of toby young typical you know yet again the left-wing liberal media elite uh you know they're spending the pandemic in their anderson shelters you know so yeah that's a very good impression actually you did there that's a really really good i think the tide might be turning all that stuff you see that really funny um the, the mash report is much better without a studio audience or a set or anything like that and um because it feels it feels subversive because it, feel, it feels like it's been assembled without anyone's position, permission. It's quite interesting. And they, but they did a really good thing that they'd managed to assemble together about sort of opinion columnists. Did you see that? No, I haven't. It's really, it's the sort of thing that I think will creepingly go viral, but it was really great. It's, we've been talking about this a bit. I mean, it's been uh, an interesting time because in some ways people seem to be marginalised, but it might just be my hopes and dreams that they have. Just for a short period of time, it seemed we were seeing more people with actually some level of expertise. But it's just such a fascinating thing. And, and I know it's always happened, but it seems the speed of the Stalinist rewrite in their mind is even quicker than it used to be. You know that, you know that bit of writing a column that is entirely wrong and two days later writing one which has is just as gung-ho and filled with self-belief and to perpetually live that life to in, in such a strong a, a sense of cognitive dissonance which is so seems kind of um it seems like it's even more highlighted now maybe it's an amazing adrenaline hit to do that over and over again over again you know who knows i think that must be it i think it must be something quite uh, base and physical involved with it yeah, I really do. Um, Stuart, you sent us a list of the books you've been reading, and I couldn't help but notice that you've read recently The Plague and Journal of a Plague. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got them on the go at the moment, to be fair. I've got um, this is a, a journal, journal of the Plague. Yeah. I really love that book. I, yeah, I read it at university. Yeah, I mean, well, there's so, so many great things in it. I mean, first of all, the, um, the, the uh, officials in London play down all the figures so as not mm. to freak people out. Then secondly, all sorts of untrustworthy rumour mongers become popular with the public. Um, and it, you know, it follows the same sort of um, patterns as we're seeing now. But what's really interesting later on in this book, in, in Journal of the Plague Year, is the people, the people start doing a runner towards Epping Forest, you know, yeah. and, they, um, they're, and they're literally going up um, Stanford Hill, which is, you know, I mean, I know you live in Hackney, and so in between you and me, basically, they're heading up, um, they're heading north up the, up mm-hmm. the, uh, the Dalston High Road, and they're sheltering in in barns in Hackney and Dalston because uh, they're not allowed to be on the move, and they're all trying to get to Epping Forest to camp and and wait the plague out um, while they're in Epping Forest. But it's absolutely brilliant. And Defoe wrote it from um, from notes of his uncle. Uh, he was he was only five when the plague happened. Defoe and he um, he wrote it from notes of his uncle. It also made me very sad because he's obviously in in this area where I live. He was he lived here, and um, yeah. when I moved here in the nineties, there was. 
a Robinson Crusoe pub and a Defoe pub and a Defoe, a Defoe minicabs, and all their names have been changed now um, to other things uh, that don't commemorate him. And it's just a sort of shame. It sounds a bit Daily Telegraphy to complain about this, but I think it is a, it's a well, shame to see all the local history kind of ripped out of names. And uh, you know. of course, but also he was he, he was, was a, a radical, radical person and a radical thinker, and he was a religious dissenter and wasn't allowed to be buried in the main cemetery. So it's not like you're trying to defend somebody who, you know, isn't. Yeah. Worthy of praise. That's and why he had to come up, uh, up, up, up to Hackney, uh, Josie, because he had to live outside normal society. <laughs> reading um, The Plague Again by Albert Camus. Uh, and I, I knew I'd got a copy of it, and then I found it's, it's my school copy, which, which says mm. Stuart Lee, Prize for Acting, July 1985. And uh, so, uh, you know, that from school. But yeah, this has got all the same things as well. Um, government, the, the authorities massaging the figures, people not really believing it. So uh, it's great to read them, read them in tandem. But I'm on a, the other book I'm reading simultaneously is Oliver Doble's new book about the history of alternative comedy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. 1979. Um, uh, as a, as a sort of um, as a year when everything changed. But it's really good. Someone's finally finally done this um, this book. You'll be pleased to know both of you. There's not many 21st century comedians mentioned in it, but you're both mentioned as um, inheritors of this tradition. And in fact, you can see the bad photocopied artwork of a 1979 comedy poster has a very Josie Long aesthetic about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, we we, we well, had a members actually. I don't think it's gone yeah, out yet. I, I read, read it, and, it, and it's really at the moment it's very expensive because it's in the the academic hardback. But I think it's going to come out in a, in a paperback at some point as well. But it's really worth it. if if you also, when the libraries are back open, if your library can get hold of a copy, uh, get it because that that was one of the things that I find interesting is there's some very funny uh, bits from that where when alternative comedy started to get noticed articles in things like the stage from old performers and old critics going, I mean, the trouble with these young people is they, they, they haven't learned the skills yet, you know, all that stuff. And then I've, during this time, of course, while, while you've been watching things with probably high artistic intent, I've been watching old episodes of summertime seaside special. <laughs> and, Oh, it, I mean, the idea, anyone who wonders why punk was needed or why alternative comedy was needed only has to watch Summertime Seaside Special, just one of them, to watch Mike and Bernie Winters and to consider, you know, some of these things as having a level of art. It's so bad. It's so terrible. <laughs> but, and I do sometimes watch old clips of alternative comedy go, well, that's not very good. But it's it's only not, as, it's not even not as very good as people who've been doing it for 40 years at the end of a pier. And I'm not saying all of those acts, but a lot of them were just diabolical. What I like is that you're reigniting a 35-year-old culture war. Don't and why not? Michael, Michael <laughs> Bernie Winters. Don't let you know what, though? I, the thing is, though, I, I'm fi I was 52 last week, and I, and I find myself saying things like, the thing about the young comedians is they haven't learned the craft now. <laughs> I sort of feel like people want to kind of get a shortcut via having a, a Vine or something that goes viral on the internet. Vine closed about five years ago. They have like a, a million internet followers and some writers make a sort of show for them that they take around stadiums. And then they, you know, so it's kind of, I do, I do find myself feeling that I guess you, you feel whatever time you grew up in, you feel that is normal, you know, and politically, of course, we all grew up in a time where after World War Two, there was a strange period where it was felt that there should be some degree of social opportunity and fairness before it was gradually reverted back to normal. So, but what, you know, whatever. And it's so obviously, I think the correct way to do stand up, 
I think, to become a stand-up comedian, is to do loads and loads of tryout spots for years and then circuit gigs every night for five nights a week and then maybe do a fringe show and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, now people think it's can they get spotted for doing something that's five seconds long on the internet and then can some people come in and assemble a show for them? So it, does, it does change. We're in our own way. We're, we're, we're applying those same sorts of criticisms that were applied to us. But I do remember a brilliant thing in 1989, a TV chat, chat show about alternative comedy where Jim Bowen was on and David Baddiel. And Jim Bowen said, are you an alternative comedian? He said, I suppose so. And Jim Bowen said, yeah, it's the alternative to comedy, which I just really, I love that, that being said. And I like the fact that a lot of younger comics now, like Alternative Comedy Memorial Society, are using what was a pejorative term, really, as, as a badge of honour. But there is, I, I would say, because I think there I are think, still enough far damaged sellers that people are doing gigs in as well. You know, it's not the, and, and I also think that there is, it's that divide that I, I think the cultural divide now is, is less age specific because we probably know quite a few comics who now, who used to feel that, that they were kind of proper, you know, edgy and blah, and now do routines which are very similar to your average Daily Mail columnist, etc. And, you know, oh, the snowflake generation and blah, of, of some of the stuff that you deal with in your show. And then also there's lots of people who are also kicking against that as well. I just think it's harder to see... Um, you know, that was like this explosion. Now that's not kind of how the media worked, does well, it? There's so exactly. many channels, so it's just... You know, you're, you know, you're looking in, in the 1980s when there were four television channels. And so, you know, if suddenly people who are in this incredible, exciting live fringe become the stars of one of the four TV channels, that's so big and so clear. Yeah, where it's like, yeah. it's yeah. just all over I mean, the so, so many people of my age, when they talk about things that inspire them to do comedy, I mean, when, when you talk to all the League of Gentlemen blokes they realised that they all watched on the same night the same showing on yeah. BBC One of Carry On Screaming on a particular, <laughs> particular yeah. evening. Their consciousness yeah. was formed by a particular broadcast at a particular time on a particular night, whereas now we obviously consume stuff completely differently. But um, in a way, that's very, very exciting because those young people still meet at university, but their influences are so much more diffuse. So yeah. what's going into the pot? is so much more eclectic and and varied and who knows what what people come up with and like what a joy you know well and who knows what is you know who knows what's going to come out of the other side of this in terms of how people write about it and respond to it and it's, well, it's I presume um, that the ruling classes will just decide to give up some of their money and change their ways <laughs> and with, with an uh, opposition led by a knight of the realm, the establishment will be shaking. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's 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 oh, we should see all right. To say that um, it's interesting to see how how can how can if if you've been outside clapping the nurses, how can you then go and and government in which a, a, a significant position of the front bench, a significant portion of front bench, have written books saying they want the NHS dismantled. And um, the, the, the problem is, how do you get that truth out there that that is the case? Because they're very good at um, sidestepping those uncomfortable facts in, um, in, uh, in, in those press conferences at the moment. And um, I don't know, who, who knows what will be there? It's, it's going to be an interesting time. Certainly, I mean, you, you wonder what, I, I wonder what the point is of, of a lot of things. I mean, half the, new, half the new show that I was touring that has been abandoned was about this culture war that we're talking about, about the demonization of snowflakes, you know, and of liberals. And obviously that's, I'm going to, it's going to need a massive rewrite, but uh, how, where, where does this sort of discussion sit when people's 
lives have been um, at stake, you know, and I mean, one would hope that it would quickly become irrelevant, really, and that um, that more important things would be foregrounded. But of course, it may just be that that all that the same concerns are piggybacked onto it um, in the in whatever comes out of the other side of this crisis. I'll be fine though, because I've got this Anderson shelter. <laughs> <laughs> I can stay in here. I've got a, literally got a bomb shelter in here. Oh, this is so, again, again, again my, my, my wretched loft and your Anderson shelter oh. filled with H.P. Lovecraft books, it's desperately trying to find your, you know, your your way towards Cthulhu. The um, Robin, um, we, right... we supposed to do show and tell? Oh, we tell? Are we supposed to brought in? Yeah, if you've got, if you've got one, but you've, you were showing your. Well, books, I forgot so. to put anything down here, right? But I tell you what, I'm sitting next to, I'm sitting next to um, a scale model of a top of the pop studio that was built for um, Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle by Lawrence Archer, who played guitar in UFO and now does a lot of prop design. Um, and it's and it was to have tiny mice in it. It was for mice performing a Slade song. So I'm just going to flip. This is the only thing of interest. I'll just flip this over there. Can, can you see that there? Yeah. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. That's it. That's great. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. That's my, that's my show and tell. That's all I've got. Can I just when you were talking about your show at Watford Coliseum, and it was brilliant, and it really was. It was, it was, it was. was, There there are some of the routines in it, in particular, are properly uh, agonising in terms of just the pain of when you do about ten minutes of doing what Ricky Gervais actually saying the unsayable would be like. uh, My (laughs) wife and I were just uh, like, "Can you stop now?" Because I didn't go to the loo in the interval. I just write this is, uh, (laughs) and and it was. but what I love was at one point you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, quite often now uh, a, a father will bring his teenage son and say, you must come with this. This man is culturally significant. And then and then the child sits there going, this is really it's not my thing, Dad. And what I think makes me enjoy your work was where we were sat and there were huge gales of laughter throughout. But we were perfectly sat next to the five people who had read something about you in some newspaper and felt that they would enjoy your cultural significance and did not get it at all. And and it was and so as we were laughing uproariously, every time you thought it's a bit like watching old Steve Merchant routines. Every time you thought you couldn't laugh anymore, you would see someone just sat there going, I don't know what this is. I don't know. And therefore it became five times as funny. And you were saying that night, you know, there's still a joy after all those years of touring where you can hear people leaving and going, Bob, we're not coming to this again. I've told you this is just, yeah. And that you must enjoy that. You must enjoy. Well, I, feel, I, feel, I feel bad about wasting people's time and money, which is why I put, I put the quotes on the, on the posters, you know, saying this is the worst thing I've ever seen or whatever, and attribute them to the people who said them. I don't, I don't get any pleasure out of that, but I do, I do. I like the fact that there's still in a live show, a battle to be won and there's still, um, a, you know, a struggle. And I know a lot of people are, producing content online at the moment and a lot of people are producing content online for very worthy causes as well but uh, i do really like the um i like the the awkwardness of the struggle of a live event and uh, i like the um the fact that uh things could happen in a room that you weren't expecting and um and i like to try to um create those create those events and those those tensions and those situations I sometimes get reviews that say oh he lost completely lost control of the room for 10 <laughs> minutes at one point but then he miraculously managed to wing it back round and of course I think well I did I was doing that you know to some extent I was in control of that um so yeah I do like that but I don't but I don't want to I don't want to waste people's people's time and I, I don't I don't do things to deliberately be rubbish Oh no, no, but that's <laughs> I think it's interesting though that you're someone playing a two thousand or whatever it was in Watford yeah. and you've been doing it long enough now that I th- at that scale 
that you think people would. It's a bit like I went to see a, a triple bill of um, Beckett plays, you know, Footfalls, yeah. um, Rockabye, and Not I. And I saw it in Toronto, and there were people sat there just looking at their watches, going, oh, "This is so boring." And you go, "Look, Beckett's not like it shouldn't come as a surprise that some yeah. of Beckett's things are slow moving." I saw um, John yeah. Hurt doing uh, Craps Last Tape in uh, the West End, and um, a number of people got up during it to complain to the ushers. He assumed that there was some kind of problem with the tape recorder on stage that it kept spooling around, or, or that. Had the show started and was this it? And um, again, I, you don't take any pleasure in thinking they've had their time wasted because it's expensive to go to a West End show as well. But I do think people sometimes have to uh, have to, you know, give the give the people on stage the benefit of the doubt. I do love situations. Oh, yeah. like that. I went to see Pat Thomas once. He's a sort of uh, experimental keyboard player from um, from Oxford. He does a lot of uh, free jazz stuff. And he was on a, a venue in King's Cross that, to be fair, just looked like a sort of nightclub or a pub. And he was on a very low, um, he was on a very low uh, stage. Um, and the audience were all standing sort of facing him. And a man came in who was obviously just like out on a Friday night trying to chat girls up and started sort of wandering around. Uh, and, and he couldn't really work out why no one was talking to each other. And then he went onto the stage and sort of <laughs> ended up standing behind Pat Thomas, looking at the audience. And then he realised that he wasn't in a pub. He was actually in a sort of venue and that everyone was looking towards him and the man on stage who was actually playing what was music. It wasn't some big mistake. And then he had to kind of shuffle off. Like someone in the background of a Mork and Wife sketch. It was really great that the performer accidentally got onto the stage without knowing, um, without knowing what that he was even watching an event. I, I think those I, moments where, and I'm sure we've all had them, where it's just slightly the wrong venue. Like I did the the, the Samuel Beckett Festival in Enniskillen. I, I I did that, and I thought, oh, that'll be fun, uh, and I'll do all my clever jokes about that. And then it turned out that the venue I was in was the British Legion, and they'd had to agree that as well as allowing the audience who'd paid to come in, all the members of the British Legion waiting for the Johnny Cash tribute band would also be in. <laughs> so you have you have that delight of playing two entirely different. Rooms, which is one room has been going i hope he's got a wry take on uh you know uh, a piece of monologue by uh samuel beckett and someone else go. so trying to get that and i enjoy that challenge and i think that's what you know on a much smaller scale too but that challenge of going how can i somehow keep those people in the room yeah. and also keep uh, and that was uh you know i don't think everyone was was united by the end but it was uh it was well, still a fun the, experiment. Um, the, the pilot proposal for comedy vehicle, comedy vehicle which they didn't go with actually was I wanted to do the same set twice, once in a studio towards a sympathetic audience, and then the same set somewhere like on a cross-channel ferry or in a in the um, cafe at a service station or whatever to people that didn't know what it was and probably didn't want to see it, <coughs> and then to cut between the two. Huh. To that, yeah, to prove that the material, um, it, it, you know, doesn't exist in isolation from the response because, um, you know, as comics, you, you do get fed up with people. I remember... I was on holiday somewhere and the people in the little cottage opposite were complaining they'd seen a comedian that we all know and he was rubbish and he died and how, how could he make a living? And I went, well, he obviously doesn't die, die every night, does he? I feel myself really sticking up for him and saying, you know, it's going to, it's not mad. He doesn't go out every night to nothing. You saw him on a night when it didn't work. Well, I'm, I can't imagine why that would have been because it was awful. And I was going, yeah, but obviously <laughs> a different night, you know, so I, I wanted to sort of build that in as it happened by the four series. Um, the audience was so odd that it sort of sabotaged itself anyway a bit, which is kind of I, what I, I suppose what I sort of was aiming for. But um, yeah, it was um, that, that was kind of the idea initially was to do it in places that it wouldn't. And that's really good in Oliver Doble's book actually about them trying to find 
1979, the early days of alternative comedy, trying to find who its audience was and where they were and ending up performing in all sorts of strange places because there wasn't an established circuit. I remember as well, about 15 years ago, there was uh, a comedian called Terry who set up a club that was specifically designed to do gigs in laundrettes and in unusual spaces to make it more of a kind of interesting thing and to deliberately take it away from, you know, chicken in a basket shouting venues and make it sort of uh, more of a happening, I think, more of an experience. San Francisco in 95, um, I went to meet Harmon Leon, who's an American stand-up, who Hmm. people of my generation will remember from the phrase, just juice. Are there any walnuts in there? No, it's just juice. But uh, he's more famous as a sort of writer now. Um, But he he, he made me meet him at a club called The Brainwash, which was a laundrette downstairs and a comedy club upstairs. And you put Hmm. your washing in. And then you went up to the comedy club while you're washing did. And I remember thinking, God, San Francisco is amazing because it was all these hollowed out warehouses in a former industrial area full of hipster bars and trendy burrito places. And I, well, of course, it's exactly what Shoreditch is now, right now, basically. But um, yeah, the brainwash, that seemed like the future to me. The future of comedy was a combination of washing your clothes and having a good night out. <laughs> right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have some, uh, some some music from Steve Thompson, who's who's brilliant now, and then we're gonna uh, join uh, Sam West as well. So stay in your Anderson shelter, please, Stuart. We will come back to you. Do uh, not leave the shelter until you receive government information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we also mentioned at the top of the show uh, the tip jar on on this. This is uh, we're collecting money for some of the uh, artists, performers, and venues, uh, so that they are still able to uh, when the, when this is all over uh whenever that may may be um then all those places where you can go and see them and also those social hubs are still there so if you can donate that's fantastic um steve thompson some of you might know if you've ever come to some of the nine lesson shows or some of the shows that i've done in hammersmith with brian cox steve amongst he's, he's a brilliant jazz musician he also plays the laser harp uh, the most joyous time to watch him playing the laser harp is hammersmith because he has to really crank it up which means that as he's playing it he's slightly singeing his fingers as well which really adds a kind of edge to the harp based jazz so um steve thompson has uh, a great outfit as well i think his 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 current uh group are called uh 1201 alarm and uh, i think what we're going to see now is a cover of here comes the sun so here is steve thompson with his band 1201 alarm yeah, yeah i'll try yeah. to play some right notes but i'm not promising don't listen
Um, I think we're back and I want want to say thank you so much and you can buy their album which is called Hello World you can find it online I'm not sure where but I'm pretty certain you can find it (laughs) that's what a great plug Um, I should also just mention that we do have uh, the tip jar and the reason we have the tip jar is so that we can raise money collectively and spread it out where it's needed amongst performers and amongst venues as well Um, I also would like to say at 12 o'clock today uh, for between one and two hours depending on how long it it becomes due to the fact that there will be no laughs um i'm going to be performing in my flat to no one my stand-up comedy show tender which is about trying to reckon with the intensity of new motherhood when you're anxious about climate change which i don't even know how it will feel to perform it in these circumstances and i think as i go along i'm gonna have to chop and change things but um, i'm going to be streaming that on twitch my name on it is Josie underscore long if you look for that you can find the stream it will start at 12 and I'm going to be doing that a few times this week and if you enjoy it and you want to you can go to arts-emergency.org slash donate and also you can buy me a coffee on coffee.com but yeah and it should also be on this channel I should say Um, but if it doesn't happen today on this channel it will later in the week I'm doing them Wednesday 12 till 2 Wednesday 8pm and Sunday 9pm and that is all of my plugging and I'm so sorry that was long no, no, no. What the? I, I, you were just reminding me of that lovely Maria Bamford comedy special she did, where it just builds oh. the audience. So starts off with her just playing to her partner, her husband, and dog, and then it's her in a front room with her family and and a bowling alley. It's brilliant. If you've not, if any of you haven't seen Maria Bamford's work, you really should. It's absolutely fantastic. She is one of the most wonderful comedians operating on this earth. And Why yeah. is she still on now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I went around um, Australia with Maria Bamford for about two weeks, long, long time ago. Um, and, um, she, and she was very suspicious of what the food would be like in Australia. And she had two suitcases and one was full of muesli. Oh, that, that's such that's a beautiful a, image, a leaky suitcase of mu- leaving a whole trail across. Because that was, was that when you were doing those kind of gigs in the outback and stuff like that? Where you, yeah. Were, yeah. Yeah, she was brilliant. Really good. Because I didn't know who she was then. And, um, you know, it was really amazing to think that you were allowed to be on the same bill as her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And we're we'll joined also by uh, Sam West. Hello, Sam. Hello. Good morning. Sam. Hello. Hello. Um, Good morning. Hello, first everybody. of all, I've um, got to say, it's always interesting seeing different people's kind of, you know, Anderson Shelter, Sofa, piles of books. You you have this incredible, it's, it's an archive. It's, it's an entire history of, 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 it's the kind of thing that sometimes in a horror movie, I, I suppose, an obsessive about board games who insist that people play them, but some of them will open different portals. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd be dead first, wouldn't I? Clearly. The, the geek the geek snuffs it early yeah the, i haven't i have to say played all of them to say played all of them if i made a pile of all the board games i haven't played yet uh, it would be as tall as me but there are, there are about 100 in there that we have played wow and when when did this obsession begin then so when did is, is this something that goes back to your you know your childhood yes uh, being a sad and lonely child i suppose yeah i mean when i was about um uh, five you just associate sort of I mean I, I I have no problem geeking for board games now I think they're they're social and brilliant uh, and I've never really got into computer games because I, I like sitting opposite people yeah. but um, about just before I started getting into Dungeons and Dragons I mean since my since my reputation is already completely sharp I might as well, <laughs> as well stamp on it 
Oh, I, that reminds me. I remember with Stuart years ago, about 1993, Stuart. Well, it might be 94. In fact, I think it was the day we found out that Bill Hicks had died. We played Plymouth and then we were going up to Birmingham um, and we stayed at your mum's house. But you popped to a games workshop uh, to have a little browse. And you were just, just out of it. You know, we were bored. It was one of those things. You just wander around and you were browsing in there. And a man came up to you and went, uh, hello, sir, can I help you? And you just went, oh, well, you know, it's just a few years. I'm not just, just having a look. It was a few years ago that I was kind of into this. You know, it's probably about 10 years ago. And he looked at you and he went, I think you'll find the world of fighting fancy role-playing games has changed somewhat in the last decade, sir. And I just <laughs> remember that exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking how funny to be patronised. Yeah. <laughs> I remember happening you're right yeah it yeah. was great <laughs> well my, my my dad was um a rep in the 70s a head head sales rep for a, a packaging company called jb dyson who were in a, a one of these sort of vertical f- factories mills type in birmingham you know with uh, uh, frightening machines on every floor and they used to make all the board games for dennis fisher who made all the sort of tie-in games like the doctor who game and the and the dad's army game and stuff like that so i used to get i used to have a disproportionately large amount of um of games and i'm I feel really, really bad that i've lost i've lost most of them over the years but i've just nipped off and got this which is um the haunted house that would be made in my dad's factory oh no it's intact where you build a sort of three-dimensional i remember the address for that around it and a a ball goes down the chimney and stuff like that. So he also made, um, he also packaged games for um, Dave Sullivan's um, pornography company that do uh, <laughs> do White House and uh, Playbirds and, and Sunday Sport, right kind of thing. Hang on, were there, there was sexy game, games? Yeah, there was Snakes a game. Snakes and Ladders, it's Luda, pretty obvious, isn't it? It's spelled L-E-W-D-O. <laughs> Luda. And you, you had to go round and have sex and stuff. And um, <laughs> But the middle was a photograph some people having sex and um, sorry that was smutty board games in yeah, the 90s yeah, but they all got stolen didn't they by the workers all the not the games just the artwork got stolen all the time. and the workers re they took them back it wasn't a pro i know joseph you'd love to think it was feminist workers stealing as a protest but it was the opposite of that <laughs> it was men stealing them to take home and use them for their intended purpose it was Ludo. I mean, I don't know if you can even get it anywhere. Anymore. I've just looked it up on Board Game it Geek. Up on it board Game Geek. It doesn't have a page unless I've misspelt it. So, oh, yeah, that's, 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 that's I imagine it. I'm not insane. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, I just I think say, it was a card, card game, not a board game, wasn't it? So it might not be on board, board games. He made the board, and the art, the artwork for the board kept being stolen from the factory. Okay, can I just say, I just as, somebody, say as somebody who never lived in the 70s, this yeah. is exactly what I think the 70s is like. It it's a combination of like real weird, innocent things like a board game and then like smut. Like it's so <laughs> bizarre to me. And also the idea of like couples having a, 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 an aspic um, moose and then drinking a sherry and then leaning over and playing a smutty playing board Ludo. game. Well, there'll be a lot of people out there watching this in lockdown wishing they'd got a copy of that game. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got them all hoarded in your Anderson shelter. Plenty of them. Oh, God, I'm imagining now that someone's in Anderson shelter with just one of those big displays of Big D nuts. For those who don't know, pubs used to have um, peanuts on a, on a cardboard dispenser and there would be a pretty lady behind them. And the idea was each time you bought a packet of nuts, a little bit more of her would be revealed. So I imagine now a man alone in a kind of lewd version of Crap's Last Tape, just thinking, which which peanuts do I take today? 
in this pandemic. Ugh. You've really lowered the tone, Stuart Lee. Is it really not there, Sam Ludo? Uh, well, I, I know I'm L-E-W-D-O. Yeah. Maybe there's a, hi- a little gap between the D I and think there's a hyphen, yeah. I think the. Uh... Oh, my God. This has really got me, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> this is great. Lewd. If I just put in L-E-W-D, it might finish. Maybe it's called Lewd, Lewd. and Obscene. <laughs> that's, that's two on the nose, that is. No, I would leave. You know what? You don't want that in your search engine, to be honest. So I just. Um, <laughs> but it was real. It might be something of the face of the earth. You know. well, somebody's got somebody's to fill that gap. Well, there is a weird bit of that the internet kind of of certain bit of cultural history where everything is incredibly well sourced, and then there is this little kind of patch of kind of you know seventies, eighties stuff, which has kind of almost got slightly you know no one's bothered to make a page yet. Yeah. Have you got anything you, behind it? So, are they all proper board game, or do you have some of those? What you know, mentioning the Doctor Who and Dad's you Army. The Colditz and, game, I saw. Yeah, Escape from Colditz is one that doesn't hit the table very often anymore. Yeah, uh, anymore. But, yeah, uh, but. Uh, Actually, that hare and tortoise is a real classic. Do you know that game? No. That's for, for mathematicians. That's fun. It's a. It has a sort of a factorial way of paying for moves. You don't. You don't roll a dice. You use carrots. And if you want to go in, if you want to do three uh, spaces in in three goes, you play one carrot each. But if you do it in one go, you pay three plus two plus one, which is six. So the more hare like you are, the more expensive it is, and the more tortoise like you are, the, the slower you go, but the cheaper it is, and. Um, it's it, five-year-olds can understand it, but it's but it's always a really good race game. It's it deserves more love. Can I ask you? Can one. you recommend any of your favourite games that people might not necessarily be aware of yet that people could source? Yeah. Um, well, the 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 breakthrough game for Euros is uh, Carcassonne. Yeah, we played that yesterday. We played it yesterday in our in our uh, It's really fun, isn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, Ticket to Ride. Uh, oh yes, the Settlers of Catan. Um, I'd recommend Azul if you like uh, if you like abstract games. I think yeah, Settlers of Catan is really good. You know, um, Carcassonne right there. You had there Carcassonne that's really famous for the sort of architecture of it. Classic um, Middle Ages, you know, French castle. It was actually uh, a construct. You know, in the in the nineteen in the nineteenth century, it was sort of rebuilt in an imaginary style that then became thought of as what it was really like. And in fact, the same architect did a, a building called Woodchester Mansions in um, in Gloucestershire that is is abandoned uh, now, but you can go around it in its sort of state of disrepair. Uh, it's really funny. Like Carcassonne became the di- Carcassonne of the citadel became a sort of definitive image of. Medieval, yeah. but then so much medievalism is that, isn't it? It's I, people I, I in the 19th so century, and, and the people, the people, they were doing live jousting in front of it, oh, so yeah. they were really <laughs> buying into the myth there. And yeah. I have to tell you, French jousting, it it doesn't tick the health and safety boxes that English jousting. <laughs> no, they don't mind it. They don't mind, do they, in Europe? They really like don't. They're, they're folk events like you know here here but i mean in, in gloucestershire the, the the cheese rollers had to go underground basically it's quasi it's because it's the council won't defend it because obviously it's dangerous to essentially fall down a hill towards some cheese but, um, <laughs> so they just do it anyway but no one's I, went to see, I went to visit my friend who works for the eu in the in eu in, in brussels and we stepped into the road and i nearly got run down and i said is this a road he said yeah i said well it's not marked and they said yeah they don't really go for health and safety in brussels yeah. I said, well, that's not the way we've been taught Brussels. Yeah. Is there? And he said, no, it's just like Northern Italy, really. I mean, everybody has the same rules, but Britain's the only one that obeys them. 
Yeah, well, in fact, they're in, <laughs> sold a complete puff on this one. Yeah, they're sort of folk events in 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 Europe, like the running of the bulls and stuff, feel incredibly dangerous. I went to New Berlin on New Year's Eve once, and what happens basically? People just throw fireworks at each other, and you have to jump out of the way. And it's sort of understood that if you wow. chose, well, I think there was probably quite a devil may care atmosphere there during the days when the war was still up, and you know when they could really kick off, they did. But yeah, it does. It does. Um, Simon Munnery explained that he'd been to an event in um, in Spain somewhere where two local teams built huge dragons that they then went inside and chased towards each other across the square, shooting just fireworks and explosives at each other, and you had to get out of the way. <laughs> it sounds entirely plausible, but it does make the things here look a bit, you know, not they're not on that on that level. But, God, that's a point of cheese roll. We always go to that. We're not going to be able to go. I wonder mm -hmm. if people will feel that someone secretly has to go to Cooper's Hill in Gloucester and roll the cheese down it anyway, even though there isn't an audience there to Could observe. Could that be their daily exercise? Hmm? Could that be their daily exercise? Yeah, it might be. Just but I wonder if they have to be at the top of a hill with the cheese. To no one. They could be saying they were delivering the cheese to someone who couldn't get it. Yeah, yeah. Rolling it down as a food. Disguised yeah. as an Ocado lorry. They, uh, yeah, the, a, a delivery there. So but if the uh, cheese rolls and that... no one's there to watch what? it, that's the uh, the great philosophical question in cheese rolling. Um, um, Sam, I wanted to ask as well, there was one other, uh, we weren't going to talk about board games, but Stuart, of course, with his, his, his meat, uh, meat. With, uh, the, I didn't know about the, all these HP Lovecraft board games that, uh, that you've, you've, you've got one behind you there. That Yes, Mansions no, of Madness, yes, which is uh, which has just had a second edition and is very, very, edition popular. And is very, yeah, these, very popular. Yeah, these grew out of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game uh, thing which was a which was a sort of spin-off to Dungeons and Dragons in the in the 70s uh, lots of 1970s people um, pouring away in libraries looking for great old things and there was one amazing mechanic that they had where uh, there was a it was a percentile thing where you you could know about that you had a you had a percentage score for knowing about the Cthulhu mythos and you had a percentage score for sanity and they always added up to a hundred so the more you discovered about Cthulhu, the more insane you became, which I thought was, was brilliant. It's very simple. I love that mechanic. Yeah, yeah. It just reminded me that about 25 years ago, Graham Linehan invited me round to play Call of Cthulhu, but I've not gone round yet to do that. <laughs> I don't know if the invitation will still stand. Paper. Long time ago. Um, I know you've got a show and He's tell. He's probably been playing it a lot and got done really, really well in it, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, look! Oh my god. Oh that's not no, what I remember. It is. That's not it. Someone's that's just it. put up a screen grab of Ludo. The Ludo I'm talking about had a naked photograph of naked people having sex with Hang on, there were two <laughs> there were two lewd versions, versions of Ludo. No, that, that was the board, wasn't it? That wasn't that, the cover that was Cluedo and someone's just messed with it. The Ludo <laughs> Sam, anyway, uh, let's find out your show. Yes, yeah, Stuart, Stuart um, has I don't think has ever seen this or not for a while anyway. This is uh, Edinburgh 1987. Just uh, yeah. A photograph from a production of Death of a Salesman. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. And that's Stuart. Yeah. I was a waiter. I was in one scene. You were two, very good in that. Two years all... after you won that award for acting. And I said, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Do you know what? That's... It's really weird. It was my wife's um, birthday in Edinburgh last year. And she went, oh, let's go to this bar. And we went there, and it was that venue where that play happened, which is now a bar. Oh. And the weirdest thing is, do you remember that the stage was actually down two sort of steps in the middle of a 
it was a sunken sort so of sunken. Yeah, it might have been a cockfighting pit or something at some <laughs> point or whatever. But the and that that structure was still there uh, in the in the bar. We but now it was just a weird place where you kind of stepped down and went across it and then went up again. And it's so incredible to have been going to the fringe for well nearly thirty five years now and to to see the change of usage of these places to be bombarded with all those all those memories. That was yeah, I remember that that production really well. I was. I was talking to everyone about it. Of course, no one was interested. I'm glad that you've come on because you were in it. You're the only <laughs> person that can remember it. Still, yeah. the only time we've worked together. Oh no, that's not true. We did a Billy. We did a Billy. We did a Billy Bragg. Um, yeah, we've been yeah. in a Billy Bragg video together as well. Yeah. Oh, what's that? A DIY blue? What's it called? Handyman blue. Handyman blue. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was yeah. thinking about that the other day actually because there's a there's a Seamus Heaney poem called Digging, where he look he remembers looking out of the window and seeing his father digging like like his grandfather dug, and he said, "Between my finger and my thumb, the." The squat pen rests. I'll dig with it. And I thought that's basically the poem version Blues, of Handyman Blues, Blues, isn't it? Isn't it? When Billy yeah, said, I can't, "Yeah, I can't do DIY, but I'll, I'll write poetry instead." Yeah, you've got. Because I know you're doing some poetry readings as well during this 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 time, aren't you? Mm. I would, by the way, quickly mention if you're looking for things as well as what Sam's poetry. Anytime Sam Neil puts anything up on the internet at the moment, it's an absolute delight. So yes. uh, Sam Neil has just the most. Have you? Have, I don't know. If, I'm not sure if you work with him, Sam. Have you done any? Um, no, never met him. I'm a big fan. Oh man, he's so good. He's so good. Um, we've got some other. There's something else. Ludo. Does that look like the right Ludo? <laughs> How were there so many different versions? Wow, it's interesting. It's interesting. This is the mo the modern world, isn't it? You've gone from denying it exists to saying <laughs> none exists, with there's loads of different ones, right? And that's the thing. It, it would in internet would have taken years to work that out, and now it's it's <sighs> seconds. It's almost proof of the scientific idea world theory. It's proof yeah, by Ludo. It's wonderful. Yeah. Also, can I apologise for my daughter's sort of, sort of sound appearance again? No, you um, can't. It was lovely. Very frustrated. Um, sorry. Yeah, if so, anyone's watching and they wonder when, when, when uh, you can still hear uh, Josie's daughter, but we, we just we take yeah, off we, obviously she doesn't want to. So that that's why sometimes there's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful gurgling and inquisitive nature in the background. <laughs> um, so what? Yes, a poem. So you 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 chose one for today. Chose yes, one for today. Yes, I've been um, since uh, since um, March the eighteenth. I've been doing this thing called pandemic poems, where I. I thought, okay, none of the things that I do face to face as an actor are, are very, are very possible or useful at the moment. But I can read verse. So I stuck out a tweet saying, if there's a poem, if hearing a poem would would make you happy or or sad or thoughtful or just give you a space to yourself, uh, then I'll do it. And I got about 450 suggestions. Uh, and I've roped in a few friends, and I do about three a day. We're up to 82 today in 20, 25 days, so we're doing quite well. And um, the real pleasure is that because I don't get to choose, I get to choose which poems to do, but I don't, don't get to choose overall which poems to do because they're all requests, is that I'm seeing a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And this poem by Pablo Neruda, which I didn't know, was, re was requested by somebody. And I just thought you ought to hear it because if ever a poem has found its time, it's this one. Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda. Now we will count to twelve and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, 
would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving, and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Now I'll count up to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go. Translated by Alistair Reed. An amazing space that mm. he, he creates there. And I just thought, how, how wonderful to be asked to do that. So I do, I do three or four a morning, uh, get up about six, go into a hut at the foot of the garden. Very lucky to have a garden. I would have talked to you from there, but I've hung up from there, but I've hung up a duvet and it looks rather like a padded cell at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to make it board games instead. And it's and really giving me some sense of purpose. It's really useful. Is it SoundCloud that you Yeah, if you want to listen to them, uh, uh, there are some very great guests great guest readers as well the soundcloud play playlist is at the top of my twitter feed in my bi in my uh, uh my biog exit the lemming two t's so you mentioned there about you know the the, the hard the difficulty of having purpose which of course is for everyone not merely you know us and the course, strange things that we do but that is uh, we talked before we started this today of, in terms of also that strange feeling you're meant to be going into rehearsal within like the next week yeah and you still don't really know. And we, we were saying this is this what we've ended up in now is is we truly are. Every human being is in development hell. It's not really. <laughs> it's, it's not just the screenwriters. It's yeah. not just the musicians who can't. It's, everyone is in this kind of development hell. Um, you can't just get on with writing a screenplay. You can't rehearse a play. But I mean, also, we were, we were meant we were meant to go into we were meant to go into to rehearsal for the revival of my partner's play, The Watsons, uh, which was going to the West End. And we haven't officially been cancelled or put off yet, and we were starting next Monday. So it is it is quite odd. Um, sorry, go on, Josie. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think I'm, it makes me wish that I wrote historical fiction largely about boats, because then you could just <laughs> sit and research all the boats and you wouldn't have to be thinking. I, I, I think as somebody who was trying to write, like, dystopian fiction about a strange near future, I'm like... I have nothing. <laughs> nothing. Well, at least if you did write dystopian fiction, you could go out into a London that was a bit like the day of the Triffids. I mean, it's very. I mean, it's very twenty-eight days later. Yeah. At the moment. There, there's an odd thing, though, isn't there, generally with 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 how all fiction is working. I, I watched the. I binge watched the third series of Ozark on um, on the, one of these platforms, and I thought that's interesting because this is taking place in a parallel world where the pandemic hasn't happened, and. Um, and uh, you know that the, that's a, that's about a, a business, you know, the the drug business, organised crime, which would have been totally transformed by this and wiped out, and the casino wouldn't be open and whatever. So you sort of think, what's going to happen again afterwards? We'll all we'll all um, imaginary worlds and fictions and dramas and soap operas and songs and everything. Well, they all have to address the fact that they're in this post-pandemic world, or will people continue writing things? As if it's like when continuity goes wrong in Marvel or DC Comics and they just sort of scrap a whole kind of couple of two year run of a comic because something got messed up and went, oh, it was um, Spider-Man had a dream. It was that, you know, it's kind of a really interesting, interesting logical problem, but also about how, you know, and then you extrapolate out from that is 
how will people you know how how will people feel that it changes the whole way they think about everything mm. what will their how will their memories of the past be changed by the transformative effect of this i mean basically everyone's going to have had a sort of a personality breakdown and what will the, what will our characters emerge as and um and i suppose you know what 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 use will what use will all the sorts of things that we do be in helping to rebuild that they're not of any practical use but will people be will people be helped to focus their thoughts and think about what's happened to them, what they're for, and what the point of their lives is by some jokes about farts. I Maybe. think they're going to need, uh, they're going to need the last, you know, I think we can say, yes. I think we can say that's fairly certain. I really oh. love the idea that when the soaps come back, Hollyoaks and EastEnders and everything, there'll just be one character who's like, I had the strangest dream. Anyway, <laughs> back to the other storyline. <laughs> So does Hollyoaks not exist? Because I think that's a fascinating thing, Coronation Street or Hollyoaks or whatever, in which it is the 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 everyone's just isolated. So you're down Coronation Street, but you don't go out of your your, your terraced house. You stay there. I'm I found myself thinking about this the other day, and this is probably something we should we should have talked about, which is that episode episode of the Goodies where they become encased in concrete. Remember that episode? The whole yeah. house they live in becomes encased in concrete, and they live inside for. Um, for an enormously long time getting old while the world changes outside and uh i was i was thinking about that yesterday before i found out that tim brooke taylor had died from you robin the bird of death the loss of people that uh yeah i was thinking about i was thinking about the clown virus episode when do you remember when Billoddy's when trousers full of trousers full of full of tomato soup and he ran down the road when i was eight that was absolutely the funniest thing i had ever seen and of course it's now even if they do repeat the goodies which they which they never do that's the one episode they can't show yes it's it's interesting that to have experienced the goodies in real time and i think it's it's um because it, it because the uh it was they were they were trying ahead of their ability to do um special effects and visual jokes with technology that wasn't really up to it so i think to to anyone under under 40 they look just it looks a bit bizarre sometimes but um but it was so exciting to see it coming out week by week think well, what are they what are they going to do by speeding up the footage this week you know <laughs> think a weird edit or you know just well, things you've never seen before and that thing you said about certain comedians being in on comedians being in on the same night and watching the same show yeah there's been several tributes to to tbt saying that that you know pe- people met in the queue to sign the to, for them to sign the goodies out annual yeah and when they were eight it was absolutely their thing yeah lovely well, as far as i only worked with him on a few things I, in january i did a couple of events with him and everything you would imagine you know what i love graham when graham garden said about him he said he was a class act and that phrase a class act you know what that has something so beautiful about it and again his generosity with um with everyone i, I love that story that someone said that he uh, he couldn't watch strictly come dancing because he would feel so wretched for whoever had been voted it was too much of an emotional trauma for him and i think isn't that just a, you know yeah, that's, that's that's a lovely story. Yes, I quite I quite understand that. No, he was very. I found it. That I I did an event. I said it in January. I did one with with Tim about a last the nineteen forty eight show. And again, there was. A, I've mentioned this quite a few times, and I'm going to keep plugging it. There's this wonderful autobiography of Marty Feldman called I Marty, and it was uh, basically it was in the attic, and 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 no one knew. And then when his wife died thirty years after Marty Feldman died, a guy's going through the attic through his stuff, and he goes, "Oh wow, he wrote his autobiography. It's really really lovely." And 
when I when I met Tim to do this event about last ninety forty eight show, I said to him and, and Christine, his wife, I said, "Oh, have you read this book?" They didn't even know about it. But again, the way both of their eyes that all their eyes lit up, and they went, "Oh, Marty was such a lovely man." The first reaction to you know when you're always worried when you bring someone out in case someone goes, "Oh, well, I'll tell you a few stories about them," <laughs> and it was quite the opposite. And everything. And there was another lovely moment where Natalie Haynes was meant to be doing the festival and then couldn't. And I mentioned that to to Tim and Christine, and and Tim, he went, "Oh, we love that show." We're, Everything was a, you know what I mean. That's it was lovely. just, it was really beautiful about the the positive things. That oh, that, it's the best show on radio. Natalie Haynes talking about the classics, and I thought that's a lovely thing to see. When very often the the the, the cliches of show business are that everyone gets in the green room and goes, ah, oh, I'll tell you about yeah, and it was quite the opposite. So anyway, I just thought I would, uh, but I found sorry. I just found Kevin Eldon's. I got questions from various people. Stuart, uh, of course, was something about free jazz for Bill, Bill Oddy. That's what he wanted to ask. Bill, Bill was a huge fan of yours, Stu. He really is. He kept kept going on about. Well, how much I'm a huge fan of his. It's been great. I've got got to know him, know him over the years, and I, I mean, I love all the music and the goodies as well. It's kind of a weird mixture of professional yeah. and um, sort of hillbilly banjo music. And they had a great. They had a great song about Cricklewood, didn't they? Pardon? Pardon? They had a great song about Cricklewood. Yeah, yeah. Cricklewood. Yeah, and the, and the, yeah, the band, the people he has playing with him are ludicrously overqualified. You know, they're sort of stars of um, of the British jazz scene of the 60s and 70s, just knocking out these mad tunes. Anyway, sorry. Oh, just, no, you're right. It was very interesting when Graham and Tim would talk about the fact that one of the albums, I can't remember which one, about 1975, you'll remember, up Jules Street, is, is, it, starts, it has the kind of policeman's opera thing in it and stuff. And, uh, and Graham and Tim just went, yeah, we just had to turn up for an afternoon for that good album it was, it was bill's thing bill was living this this wonderful but um yeah kevin eldon's question which was uh for, for this event back in january was when you were riding the three-seater bicycle how much of a safety risk was posed by the ever-present danger of your enormous flares getting caught up in the chain so hmm. it was very kevin but then what i loved was he said please could you preface this question with hello goodies i was always a big fan of the show thanks very much for so many great laughs and happy memories if and then afterwards he just said i hope that's not too cheesy it's just the 13 year old me would be thrilled to be able to ask them a question yeah. and i think that's what sometimes people go back to shows like that and they get cross because it doesn't make them feel how it did when they were eight nine ten eleven whatever and you go well, no but that's they're separate issues mm. what that did to you then you will not be able to make happen again it, but don't dismiss that delight. You can't step back into the river, can you? You can't step into the same river again. You just have to enjoy the fact that you were there at that time. Treat it for, Treat where, it it was. for where it was. Oh. Um, can, so I plug, anyway, so can, can I plug a, a, I a, plug show, a, a show that not, I'm not in, but I've just been watching yes. that not enough people know about? Do you, uh, do, you, um, do you any of you watch The Leftovers? No, no. I don't know what it is. Well, it's, uh, I just worked with Callum Woodhouse on this new series of All Creatures Great and Small. And Callum watches absolutely everything. But luckily, he's also got really good taste. He's only about 27. Um, and he told me this is, this is a series from about five years ago, three series, 20, 2015, 16 and 17, American. And it's about a world in which 2% of the population spontaneously disappear. And, um, utterly unexplained. And... I, I sort of wish I hadn't chosen to oh. the point where two percent of the population were under threat of death and might have disappeared permanently. But what it does so beautifully is it sort of takes the dial of society and gives it one click to the right without special effects or anything being different. And suddenly everything's different. And how people deal with the guilt of being left behind and, how, how, and, and the sort of weird superstitions and cults that grow up. 
um, it's been a real comfort to watch during the lockdown because it, it, you don't watch it thinking, well, they're too close to each other. Obviously, that wouldn't really happen because everything's sort of fucked up. Um, Max Richter did the music. That's probably what it's best known for. Um, and um, it's got some really good people in it. But for some reason, people don't know about it. So I really recommend it. And where was that again? Where uh, we... Well, I got the uh, well, I got the box. I got the box set. I think you. I think you can get it streaming. I think it was originally okay. HBO. But I, I bought the box set because I'm I'm a bit analog like that. The um, we've run out of time. We run out of time about ten minutes ago. But I was I I, we, I didn't talk at all, Stu, about some which is um your documentary. That I've just started watching King Rocker, uh, which is all about the Nightingales. Yeah, Michael Cumming, who directed uh, Brass Eye and Toast of London. Huh. We were both fans of this group, the Nightingales, and Ted Chippington, the comedian, and um, they thought it might be good to make a film about them, and we found out that each other were into it, and we spent about two years working on it, crowdfunded it. Um, most people worked on it for nothing. We paid the crews for about the 10 days of filming that we had, and obviously the archive clearances were expensive, but we were about to start taking it around film festivals and doing live tours and you know live screenings and stuff um that um now we're trying to sort of see if we can place it somewhere it's a thing that's gone into a sort of limbo uh but we were lucky that we got it done before before everything shut down really not michael edited it in his uh, in his shed in his garden but um yeah it's a film about this group it's about how you how someone kept you know a not hugely well-known group going for 40 years and it's offset against the history of a weird piece of public sculpture from Birmingham, a big statue of King Kong that ended up being lost and turning up. Well, I'm not going to say where it turned up. That's the exciting thing about the film. <laughs> but now, maybe you'll be able to see that somewhere soon. I hope so. Uh, can I just mention that Go Faster Stripe, that are the label that do lots of um, CDs and downloads of um, all the best comedians, are um, you can they're having a different thing you can download every week and you give a donation to the Trussell, Trussell Food Banks, which I think's there's another thing in it that uh, Dominic Raab said there was no such thing as food poverty. People merely had um, uh, he said, budgeting uh, issues, yeah, short-term cash flow problems. Yeah, but now even more than before, they're a massive lifeline for people. So you can give a donation to Trussell Food Banks if you go and get something from Go Faster Stripe. Yeah, it's really cool. Brilliant. You're, I love your opening. Well, not quite your opening line, but well, it might be actually in King Rocker. We say we live in a culture where mediocrity is rewarded and originality is punished. <laughs> and, uh, well, here is to a more beautiful present and a more, and a more hopeful future. Well, we'll have to end on that. You've got to go. <laughs> I, I, I love it when I get that look from you. Going, yeah. What I'm trying to do, Robin, is I've got to go now. <laughs> You've got a twelve-year-old. He's happy playing on other things. Um, Sam, thank you so much. Minutes. Pleasure. Um, and can find, as Sam said, exit the lemming. That's uh, uh, and uh, and yeah. Well, I wish we could have talked more about this. Is, the hashtag is pandemic poems. Pandemic well, poems. Also, if this lasts a long time, please come back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's we, we are now booking the week that we hoped was no longer required, um, and that will then then continue. Thanks very much, Josie. And so, what time is your show today? I can't uh, remember. This. Twelve till two. If anyone fancies it, it will be a bit rough and sketchy today, but it might just be a fun thing to be in each other's company for a bit. And then uh, when, uh, Wednesday, twelve till two. Wednesday, eight till ten p.m. And Sunday, nine till eleven p.m. I'm trying to do a spread so that I can do it a when the baby's sleeping and b later so that if people in other countries want to watch it look at Stuart oh look at him doing his fade out routine that is uh, he's created a level of looks like a little mole <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Oh no, someone's found Cthulhu. He's doing um, this visual effects. <laughs> thank you so much, Stu, as well. I hope that we your your tour will um you know, it was such a funny show. It was an, a, it, it was a really, and Watford Coliseum was the perfect place to see it. Thanks very much, everyone, for watching. <laughs> Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You know, go to our Patreon and do anything, and and to have a nice, have a nice day off in this strange. And also, thank you to everyone who is who is still still working and helping people. Thank you every day. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to catch up on all the previous episodes, find out who's coming up on upcoming episodes and to leave a tip for acts and artists and venues who are hit hardest at the moment. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Oh.